0: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. The Vatican vaults. What great mysteries might such a place be hiding beyond the apostolic archive? Far more tantalizing than religious texts, there is said to be a trove of ancient mysteries and strange artifacts collected across centuries of time and perhaps different worlds altogether. In many ways, it is unfathomable to comprehend the mysteries hidden here, with so many unknown objects, ideas, and devices that we will never see. However, one of the oddest and potentially world changing items is said to be locked within the vaults of the Vatican managed to evade a relegation to the unknown corners of history, but rather became a mainstream story of the strangest variety, coming from the cracks of the Catholic Church. This is the tale of an extraordinary device, one that was capable of peering into time itself, a machine that was able to not only dial back in time, but pinpoint exact moments throughout history. A device called the chronovisor. Allegedly engineered by a Catholic priest of the Benedictine order, along with a select secretive group of scientific specialists, after years of secret experimentation, the chronovisor was completed and allowed the team to watch history as it happened. But could such a device actually exist? And if this is indeed real, Hidden in the vaults of Vatican City, the consequences of its power falling into the wrong hands could be devastating, but could also help unravel the mysteries of time itself. Welcome back, everyone, for part two, as we attempt to unravel the mystery and high strangeness that is the Chronovisor. And I'm Andrew McKay.
1: Welcome back into the portal.
0: Your gateway to the bazaar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've got part two for you guys. We're diving into a very strange story today. Absolutely.
0: One of the weirdest time travel, if you even want to call it that, stories out there, quite Mm -hmm. frankly, because it's pretty unique in the, yeah, the realm of any sort of device that has to do with bending time, going through time. It does. Shaping time.
1: It's almost a mix between sci-fi and conspiracy to a certain extent. So oh, we got, absolutely. We got the Vatican involved.
0: <laughs> it's like the Vatican meets the Philadelphia experiment, man. <laughs> it kind of almost does have that vibe though. You're right. It's like conspiracy does meet science fiction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, welcome back everybody. Part two of the chronovisor and time crystals. So last week we talked about, <clears throat> or last week, <laughs> last episode, we talked about time crystals and sort of got into the topic of time travel in a really strange way because these time crystals and the discovery of it isn't directly related to anything that we're talking about per se but it got us thinking about obviously like this sort of primordial thing that can still be discovered by us in modern times it's a new state of matter defies the laws of thermodynamics and how could this possibly tie in to further discoveries in like more different states of matter and like what that means for bending and shaping or moving through time so that got us thinking about the chronovisor Uh, which is where we're jumping off today. Mm -hmm. This bizarre device allegedly hidden away by the Vatican. They deny its existence and allowed people to actually view different points in time.
1: Hmm. Very mysterious.
0: Now what, excuse me, what that actually means, whether or not it's just viewing a burned or etched moment in time or you're viewing something as it happened in time, we will get into. But the story all begins with this man named Pellegrino Maria Ernetti, I
1: like the accent. How do you think of that? Not bad. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad.
0: All right. And what a name! I just got to say, Pellegrino. It was probably before the (laughs) the onset of Pellegrino. (laughs) Yeah, this guy was parched. (laughs) Pellegrino Maria Ernetti, born 1925. He ended up becoming a Roman Catholic priest um, that was most famous for his understanding of very archaic music, er, Gregorian Mm -hmm. Gregorian chants. Gregorian, yeah. Um, Specifically, he was a specialist in this, but among many other things, he actually later became the most famous exorcist in all of Europe. He was an educated scholar, a musician, like I said, and an inventor as well, which obviously ties into the story today. He is, of course, the purported creator, if it is real, of this most incredible invention. The most incredible possibly in human history, quite frankly, if it does exist. A complicated device, but at its basic level, was able to tap into history itself. 1941, let's just give the story of a young Pellegrino Ernetti to try to paint the picture to how we got to the chronovisor. In 1941 pellegrino Ernetti joins the local monastery where he grew up as a postulant or a candidate, if you will, seeking admission into this religious order. So this was San Giorgio <laughs> Margeri- Maggiore. Maggiore. San, Gio- San Giorgio Maggiore. There we go. Okay. Shortly after he turns 16, and I believe this is in the northern northern part of Italy, kind of like in the ballpark of Venice. My family lives in northern Italy. I should have a better perspective on this. But nevertheless, a young Pellegrino Ernetti starts his religious uh, education. So he gets into this daily routine, and according to several different blogs that I look at on the life of a monk, a Benedictine monk, these guys got up early, man. Uh, 5 a.m., they would wake up, or whatever time, depending on the year, allowed them to rise with the sun, and they would fill their day with holy study. They would show up in the first office of Matins at 5.30 a.m., eat breakfast in complete silence, and then listen to one of the brothers read them scripture, usually in Latin, sometimes in Greek. And then there of course were classes followed by more study, more more prayer in the evenings. It's like, man, this is like 12 hours of prayer, school, constant. Like it's hardcore. It <laughs> you know is. what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's focused.
0: And because it was so involved in so many different broad sort of uh, aspects of his education, he got into a lot of different things. So even as a young man, he was known as a talented musician like we said, but he really got into physics and became a devoted scientist. He had all kinds of little experiments he would do while he was studying. And according to Italian records and sources within the church, he was regarded by his peers as this very intelligent, promising young man that showed aptitude from a very young age in pursuits outside of theology. So I wanted to say that because I feel a lot of this story kind of transitions into him being painted as a crazy person yeah. or someone who didn't necessarily have the, the skills or the wherewithal like, at all. And it was just completely yeah. fabricated.
1: Isn't that a common theme of criticisms of these types of stories? You know what I mean? We've come across this theme many a time. I'm thinking of Oregon Energy as one. Oh, yeah, um, Wilhelm. What else can we pull out of our hats here? <laughs> like, yeah, no, there's that definitely... I think that's good to really preface the story with um, a little bit of insight into his character and his intellectual character more so than anything. So that's a good point to make.
0: And I guess I I kind of jumped the gun a little bit with the education stuff because obviously his early education was a little bit more religious-based. And then in the 50s, he ended up attending um, an institution called the Sacred Heart of Milan, which is actually the largest private university in all of Europe Hmm. and the largest Catholic institution in the world. So specifically here, he was studying under the tutelage of this guy named uh, Agostino Gemelli, who was a physician... Like an actual GP, mm. um, a psychologist, among other sort of designations and things, and he actually wasn't agnostic before he converted to the faith, but became quite religious and was teaching at the teaching at the school later in his life. So Gemelli, this he had a massive influence on Ernetti's interest in science, and that's the sort of the 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 cool thing, quote unquote, the <laughs> interesting thing about Catholicism, and. A lot of their scientific research and pursuits and stuff. Like, there's an astronomy tower like at the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Cardinals specialize in different sort of like aspects of science. It's a little bit. Le- it's very rigid, yeah. but it's also like less so than other hmm. other and the, not other yeah other religions too. I guess. Like, I mean, they're interested in. Other aspects of the world. Yes, I mean I've, I think they want to use it to prove their own points a lot of the time. Well,
1: yeah, probably, obviously, but um but yeah, it's no, just it was...
0: yeah, it's just interesting that a guy like Jamelli would be specializing in like neuropsychological studies because that was basically his thing
1: in the fifties, and, and just the idea that this Jamelli uh, guy was kind of the opposite. I feel like you get more of, like, oh, you grew up a religious upbringing and then you become secular later in life because you have this epiphany. Right. For him, it kind of went the opposite way, which yeah. kind of makes you wonder what made him turn that way, maybe? Like, do you yeah. realize there's something perhaps beyond science or man's understanding right. of the universe? Yeah, it's like he
0: reached a certain point and then became apart yeah to fill those mm-hmm. gaps possibly the yeah. mysteries of the universe per se yeah it's interesting but uh anyway continuing on here so yeah he was a neuropsychologist um among other things studied all kinds of different aspects of this ernetti was working with him he also gemelli specialized in the gregorian chants as well mm. so without a doubt gemelli would have had this massive impact on pellegrino ernetti although they did not work on uh, projects specifically together beyond music as far as like publications. So Mm -hmm. Ernetti would have like been in his classes, but as far as publishing stuff or working on projects, it was specific to the Gregorian chants. So the Gregorian chant, just so you guys know, because you might be wondering what the hell is this listening out there, and I thought that too (laughs) when I first Mm -hmm. read this. It is basically a very simple tune with no real regular rhythm to it that's sung in unison. So it's basically like, it's very much like what, what you would expect from like the background noise of like of a, of a monastery. It's like mm-hmm. monks like humming, like a low, a low frequency. Kinda,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, they kind of go up and down in different pitches with this low resonancy. And it just sounds ancient.
1: You yeah, I mean? it does sound, exactly, and there's no music involved, like there's no accompaniment, like no instrumentation. All vocals. It's, it's all just, yeah. All your...
0: vocals, and then usually done in a specific location, what well, that would like amplify the sound, right? Yes. So you're in like a cave, like, or not a cave, but you're in,
1: in a monastery or abbey or a some, somewhere. A specific shaped
0: building temple, or whatever. Maybe. And there's mm-hmm. actually been discoveries of uh, certain structures that are believed to be associated with this type of chant, which goes back thousands of years, that mm. were done in certain, like, dome-shaped rooms to create more amplified sound, possibly even for, like, le- like vibrations and, like, affecting in the physical body itself. All kinds of crazy that stuff.
1: That and also the psychological effects that humming and low-resonant kind of sounds can have on the human mind. Exactly. Something like that. Remember, I can't remember the name of that one ancient structure that was uncovered that it was basically just, like, a... Uh, It was somewhere in England, I believe, or maybe in Scotland, where they basically, it was like an underground chamber. It was like a mound structure. And then in the middle, there was this chamber, and everything was angled to sort of amplify sound in the chamber. And and to bounce it around so that it created this very, like, otherworldly effect that That's would right. basically make you feel like you've been transported to the realm of the dead perhaps or something like that.
0: Ooh, and transporting mm-hmm. to realms at least this, the sentiment of that sort of ties into like what we're talking about today. So,
1: And this idea of vibrations and of hums and all that kind of stuff doesn't that make you think of uh, the cave of crystals?
0: Absolutely. Mm. Isn't
1: that kind of interesting? Oh my
0: gosh, okay, thank you for yeah. mentioning that. I completely forgot about that connection there but yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This like idea of a low frequency, the idea of changing the state your, your perception of of reality that mm-hmm. is kind of like what's happening with like when we're talking about time because our perception of it is completely linear it's based off of like how we view everything
1: mm-hmm. so
0: changing that would change it all <laughs> <laughs> no but okay coming back to reality here jameli would slap me in the face yep, uh, because the whole point
1: oh,
0: <laughs> <of> <laughs> oh god jameli yeah you would have loved that lyric. The entire purpose of mentioning this guy, though, just again to reiterate, was that he was a man of science, converted later on to faith, and so that he would have kind of been pretty scathing if Ernetti was not like him, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. He would have been if Renetti was this crazy guy, kind of making up stories and developing stuff that was like woo woo and like not cool with the church. Then Jamelli wouldn't have been down with that, mm-hmm. and they were very close. Um, this is proven by his massive scathing criticism of this famous guy named Padre Pio. Have you heard of Padre Pio? I before? feel like that sounds
1: kind of familiar. I don't know. It's
0: entirely a story, like in and of itself for another day. But yeah. basically, this character Padre Pio claimed to have achieved, like, many incredible different holy feats, miracles, and just became this, like, you know, prolific figure. Hmm. But Jamelli basically reviewed this guy's story and a lot of his quote-unquote miracles and basically was like, this guy's a nut job, mentally unstable, he's a charlatan. Like, this is not, not true.
1: And this was in the same period that they were operating in, kind of thing? Yeah, this would mm-hmm.
0: have been in, like, in the 50s. Okay. So coming back to Ernetti, though. The father of the chronovisor, because that's what we're talking about today. (laughs) So after this, after his education, Ernetti seems to have continued along with his studies on his own, alongside other educated members of the church, Gemelli being one of them. And he had access to diverse information and different records, like obviously from the church, but also the university. Like the Catholic Church has so many historical records from science, from so, so many different aspects of Research over thousands of years, right? Mm-hmm. So, Ernetti had access to this, and he excelled at his studies, particular with archaic music, like we said, all the way back into the sixth century AD is when it became like really well known Gregorian chants, mm-hmm. but goes back thousands of years. And along with this, he was studying Latin, Greek, other modern European languages. He was, by all accounts, fluent in Latin, um, and ended up yeah, being pretty famous, led this choir at San Giorgio, recorded different performances, all kinds of different stuff. After eight years of this, he would become ordained as a Benedictine priest. This was August 14th of 1949. And he would go on to publish all kinds of different volumes of musical work, but also exorcism work as well, which is pretty cool. Actually, by the time it was the early 50s, he had performed, quote, thousands of exorcisms, All across Europe, mostly in Italy, and lots of people would even make the pilgrimage to San Giorgio just to visit him, to relief from the demons by visiting Father Ernetti's tiny little, tiny little Benedictine monk quarters, which was like this really small little room.
1: literally a cell that's 12 by 12. It's
0: like a prison cell, literally Mm -hmm. a prison cell, and uh, he (laughs) was so effective at this, like he was so good at removing the demons Which is a controversial thing in and of itself, even though we've got so many people that aren't religious, aren't Catholic, that have witnessed these events and say, this has got to be true. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I don't see any way this couldn't be true. It's not somebody with just a mental disability, even though, sadly... A lot of exorcisms were over the people, hundreds of years that. were performed on people Yeah, that mm-hmm. had disabilities. But he did become super famous, so famous that the Vatican actually basically said, hey man, you have to compile like a list of how you deal with this stuff. So he huh. published this book. What's it, What was it actually called? It was titled... Satan's
1: catechism. Yeah, wow. Satan's,
0: that's the translation, Satan's catechism, because man, Ernetti was coming for you, Satan.
1: Crazy. going to work
0: out those demons.
1: So it's like literally a formal set of guidelines on how to exercise demons, essentially. Yeah. The, okay. This is
0: actually a quote outlining the work. So this is basically, okay, this, okay, the work outlined, this is crazy. Quote, the progression of demonic home invasion where chairs pushed by an invisible force, dishes flying through the air and smashing into the wall and windows opening on their own. For example, in some cases, the victim would begin to hear voices in their head, would be una- unable to think clearly, lose sense of smell or taste, and then speak in tongues or obscenities, and then exhibit unusual strength, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, this, so this was Ernetti's description of of the typical
1: sort of situation of an exorcism. Of the... You know, he's got a checklist. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You got it when you're Any going. Any dishes in... flying around? Anyone uh, Any losing their ability to think around? clearly? <laughs> Could you imagine sitting in on an exorcism?
1: So let me just go back to like, um, just just briefly just summarizing this here because it seems as if Arn- Arnetti, he obviously had the decade of the 40s where he was in study a lot. By the end of the 40s, he had been inducted, not indoctrinated, sorry, he had been inducted as a formal priest. Yes. But his connection with Jamelli was up until what point? Up until Well, Jamelli passed the away 50s? in the
0: 50s. Okay. So they were connected so, until, until the day he passed away.
1: Okay. And then his reputation, quote-unquote, as, like, an exorcist expert would have developed in the 50s and into the 70s, as it says here, that mm-hmm. he... It was by the mid-70s that he was commissioned to do this sort of guideline or right. whatever.
0: Which is interesting because that ties because he's commissioned to do this in the 70s and this is right along the same time he's talking about the device he's talking mm. about the chronovisor and people are are saying you're, he's crazy so right. it's it was a something weird in juxtaposition. The
1: 60s, wasn't it? That he started to kind of
0: It is spill and then beans. one of the first pub- <laughs> definitely. So to speak. But we we'll, and we'll get to this. We're kind of jumping ahead. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, one of the first publications was in the 70s, like when it became more mainstream. Yeah. So it's just weird that the church would be condemning him on the one side and also asking him for his help on the other side and saying you are so good at this, we oh. need you to. Do-. It's just a weird contradiction or juxtaposition, I should say. It
1: anyway, is. It is, yeah.
0: We shall continue here. And we will come back to everything we just mentioned, including the music, the chants, because like Amber said, with the hum, with so many different, there's so many different sort of ways we can tie this back in. Mm. But one of them was this idea of like imprints or preserved moments. Mm -hmm. And I think that Ernetti was inspired by the work he did with the chants to build the chronovisor and we will tell you why in a minute. So let's get into this, the creation of the device. So the chronovisor, what a name. I mean, I actually didn't pull up the Latin, like divided definition but it's presumably it's chrono
1: chronos is like the god of time i believe when it comes to greek
0: mythology yes i believe so time winery
1: had a series called chronos yes i remember that yeah and also it just sort of
0: springs to mind like chronology you know the order of time linear sequence and then of course visor vision to view because that's what this thing was so to most people this is considered of course an alleged device since the actual original original copy of it isn't anywhere accessible, and the Vatican denies that it exists. Uh, according to many, of course, this is just science fiction. But purportedly, Ernetti built this in the 1950s, who had presumably been working on this concept for quite some time, possibly developed at least the idea of it when he was with Gemelli at at school in Milan. But of course, uh, a lot of the recovered notes and documents from Ernetti don't exactly uh, paint a picture of this either. And of course people were thinking, how could he have done this on his own? I mean, of course, you're an educated man, but Mm -hmm. he didn't, and this is the story he told. So for over 30 years, between the decades of the 60s and the 90s, Pellegrino Ernetti had claimed that he had, along with recruited experts in physics and other fields, had created a time machine or a time device called the chronovisor. Now, he recruited some of the most like insane i'm going to skip ahead here cuz i just want to say this so he basically claimed that he had assembled a team of 12 scientists including the nobel laureate enrico fermi who won the nobel prize for physics and werner von braun former nazi who had been brought over famously in project paperclip mm-hmm. by the by the americans and somehow hmm. some way Ernetti had assembled these two along with another 10 scientists. One of them was possibly a Japanese scientist, who I get to a little bit later down here, uh, to build this device.
1: So he's naming names now. Right? Naming and names and so really
0: naming names. Just
1: to clarify too, for over 30 years, he was claiming that he had created this coronavirus. It didn't take him 30 years to make the device. No. He claimed he built it in the 50s and that Correct. he continued to espouse that he had to do this for over 30 years exactly so
0: let's come back to that so yeah so for over 30 years he was telling the story it was built in the 50s but he didn't start talking about it until the 60s which is when the crazy stories start to come out he was telling people that through this device along with this team of scientists they were able to view some of the most iconic and important historical events in history including the biggie you know what it is (laughs) the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean that's kind of the big one. I mean, like you're you know, you're a priest. You saw it happen. You
1: saw it happen. Kind of. A big no, deal. no, I feel like not the crucifixion would be the big juicy nugget. I feel like it would be the resurrection that you'd want to see. Just to prove that it actually happened.
0: Oh, I suppose that's true.
1: <laughs> and she's like, oh huh. Huh. <laughs> bubble burst. <laughs>
0: I mean But he never claimed sure. that.
1: <laughs> I mean, he claimed to have seen a dude on a cross. How many crucifixions happened during that time So that it's actually era? like maybe like he was thousands. just looking
0: at the wrong guy. Maybe. He was viewing it he? He was viewing it through and it was actually just like, it was that scene from the end of Life of Brian where there's like just like a hundred guys on crosses exactly. singing look on the bright it side was of a life. a
1: pretty common fate, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, crucifixion's
0: a dawdle. <laughs> okay.
1: Anyways, I don't mean to laugh about it, but seriously, like, if I was him, I would probably want to witness the resurrection. Oh, at least you could say it the opening. But, aid. hey whatever, man. Right. He, he, maybe he can't dial it into his exact... He, he was close enough. He got a bit of the story. Okay.
0: So Amber's not totally impressed or sold with no, that. No, because, it, it's no. It's but there's. It, I mean, it, it goes on, right? Because he claims so much more. And I guess this is part of the reason people thought this was all just woo-woo in the 60s when he starts talking about it, because mm. it's like, I mean, you're naming some of the most iconic things. But true. if it's true, you're not going to use it to go back and be like, oh yeah, I saw, <clears throat> you know, I saw Jesus, you know, Catch uh, a fish. Like, it's going to be the most important stuff.
1: Or or even the scene where he takes the one fish and the one loaf of bread and turns it into hundreds of fishes and loaves of bread.
0: Or water into wine or or whatever. You know,
1: so my first question here is, where's the proof?
0: Okay, so... (laughs) Where's his proof? (laughs) Well, exactly. So he's trying to... uh, Yeah, okay, that's a very good question. And he ends up having some quote-unquote proof that is, of course, Mm -hmm. disproven or debated later on. Mm -hmm. But one of the strangest and supposed sort of, like, evidence that Arnetti brought back was uh, translated by this, uh, oh my gosh, I don't have his full name here, Well, it comes up later, but basically it was a reproduction of a play that went missing in the year 169 BCE. It was a tragedy called Festis. Uh, now it was considered to be a lost work completely, there's only a few fragments of this text that remained, but through the use of the chronovisor, Father Anetti claimed to have been able to go back view the original text, and reconstruct the missing pieces, which was later translated into English by a Princeton University professor. Now, there's some issues with that, but that was the first, one of the first pieces of proof. He says, here's this ancient play, or this mm-hmm. this, this play from antiquity, that is completely incomplete, and look at this. I've found the completed version of it. Take a look.
1: I thought, I, when I, maybe I misunderstood, but I thought he actually watched the play, and that's how he was able to reconstruct it.
0: He may have. But hey,
1: maybe I got that wrong. I don't know. Or like,
0: watched the person writing it or like being rehearsed or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, when you look up this top, this subject, the chronovisor, there's there's quite a bit of variation yeah. on some of the claims. But the the point is that he was able to like get that information, retrieve the information. So I have a question here. Is this idea, aside from the obvious, like, impossibility of viewing the past with a bizarre device, like, if you don't believe that, Burnetti (laughs) did have experience in writing extensive, complicated works. He could speak Latin and Greek. Uh, So would he have actually been, like, is that more likely that he would have been able to go back in time or view in time and recreate Mm. it? Or that he faked it in modern times and knows how to speak Latin? Okay, so
1: suspending disbelief of all of this. He he could go both ways, obviously, because he would possibly have the authority and the know-how to recognize Latin and whatever sort of language this was written in, or spoken in, if he was viewing the actual play itself. Right. But then he also would have the ability to perhaps forge it, because he does know all these different languages. And of
0: course, nobody... I mean, it's incomplete, so who would be able to say?
1: The thing that gets me is, like, going back to character judgment... Why would you want to draw so much attention to your... You've kind of made it as, like, sort of like a legitimate priest. Why would you want to, like, hypothetically throw it all away on making these crazy claims? Right. Unless there was some truth to it. It kind of cuz like these people aren't out for fame. Like he it's not like he became like this was the 50s, man. He could have became the next Beatles or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> he was into music, but you know what I, like I just feel like there's that that sort of leaning and obviously humans are only human. So maybe there is mm-hmm. some sort of like, you know, the idea that I want some sort of recognition sure. in the world or something. But you're right but, though.
0: It's not exact it's not like the same because of the era. Like it's not the same as someone say like uh, like a Bob Lazar. Mm-hmm. where it's still obviously not like it is today, where the internet runs rampant like it was back in the in yeah. 70s. But he, you know, television isn't mainstream yet. He's not going to get his own TV show. He's not going to be going on Geraldo, you know, talking mm-hmm. about this stuff. Uh, he's probably not going to get a book deal. He might get interviewed <laughs> on, a, on a, you know, on a radio show or something. You know what I mean? Though no, it's like it's, you're not going to, like Suclose isn't going to come get you on Ancient Aliens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's not a ton of reason.
1: No, no, other than the idea that the world might, you might catch a few headlines, you might make a few, you know what I mean? I don't know what was going on as far as talk shows in that era. <laughs> right. I mean,
0: they definitely existed. They but did, I mean, but... But this, is, this ties into the, the other 12 alleged scientists, too, because the you know the story well, goes that they wanted to remain anonymous at the con- time of this construction for various different reasons. We don't know exactly why. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the only names were given are Fermi and von Braun, you know.
1: Two very, very recognizable names. Very
0: recognizable names. names.
1: But that's just it. It's like, is he he referencing these names to give him more legitimacy? Or, like, does that almost, like, take away legitimacy from the story? But that's just
0: it, though, because it's like, these guys were technically, wait a second. Fermi had, we're going to get to this because there's a timeline of who was still alive and who could have been asked if they actually Mm -hmm. had worked with Ernetti or not, and Fermi wasn't one of them. Is
1: there any corroboration? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And we do have that information. Because basically the
0: story, as it goes, this is what Ernetti has has said, and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, others um, telling the story after he passed away, that this team had kept the device secret until the early 1960s when he basically either at the behest of his team or just chose to do this on his own, had confided in another member of the church uh, who we will name momentarily. So the only names that mm-hmm. we have that are associated with us are Fermi, Fermi and, and von Braun that mm-hmm. helped him build it.
1: Um, and this Hideki Nikola. And potentially, potentially. This, this is a
0: guess. So he sort of like loosely references like another possible Nobel Laureate involved, um, that was Japanese. And so the only sort of possible candidate for that would be this man named Yeah Hideki uh, Nukawa, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics 1949. Mm-hmm. So he would have been a pretty awesome addition to the team. <clears throat> that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You got Von Braun building crazy rockets. You got Fermi, who's just is like groundbreaking f- physics theories. And then you've got Hideki Nukawa.
1: And Von Braun, obviously, he was in the States by this point. Where was Fermi? Was he in the States, too? Fermi was in
0: the the U.S. He uh, was. But I think both of them did technically make trips. Okay.
1: Yeah, because I'm just curious, and then we got this alleged Japanese involvement. This is quite the team. Like, this is, like... It's like an international. What am I thinking of here? Um, a World <laughs> police kind of thing, <laughs> like yeah, secret kind of. Like, sort of like you know cabal of all these crazy scientists working together on this thing, as led by the church, I guess.
0: But it is also like it is also like a very like close connection to kind of like the the Nazi movement of the Second World War when you think about it. Like not to say that like like Fermi wasn't a Nazi or anything, but obviously like Italy was mm-hmm. doing In their line. thing, yeah. and you got von Braun who was a full out Nazi.
1: And they were um, allegedly trying to work on things such as the um uh, that oh, what's it called the uh, the Nazi bell the bell yeah sorry how did I forget <laughs> yes who yeah. knows I don't know but it's it's quite the story that's for sure yeah but then how does this all really come to light who who is sort of like the conduit through which Ernetti kind of starts to spill the beans too, so to speak. Yeah. And this is where we get Father Brun coming in here. Right. And this guy, Fran- Francois Brun, he was another priest, uh, Vatican priest, and he was one that would go on to claim that Ar- Ernetti was telling the truth. Yeah. The main <laughs> the main resource that we're kind of referencing today for all of this information is, obviously there's some blogs that we've looked at, but the main source would be Brune's 2002 book called Mm -hmm. Le Neveu Mystère du Vatican, which is the new mystery of the Vatican, essentially. And it's this collection of accounts in which he explains how he met Father Ernetti and then goes on to kind of tell his story. And the story goes that they actually met on a boat ride across uh, the Venice Grand Canal sometime in the early 1960s. Apparently they were familiar with one another, but this was their first actual meeting. So both Arnetti and Bruin, they're both very well versed in Latin, Greek, and of course the Bible, which made, you know, for some pretty stimulating conversation. Of course. They started to get into this and that. And then after a while, Bruin went on to say that Arnetti directed their chat towards his other passion beyond the church, music and science he started to talk about this alleged time-traveling device. And this was all coming to light because they were discussing the many ways in which the Bible could be interpreted. And right. that's when Ernetti kind of dropped the bomb where he was just like, he had access to the quote-unquote truth via this device. Right. And uh, it's interesting because he said time traveling, not time viewing. Yeah. And that's where we, do we want to get into semantics where it's like this device allegedly lets you access, we don't, I'm almost picturing it because there's a very crude sort of like diagram and we can post it too once Uh, we we release the episode. But I'm almost picturing it like you're looking into like a, uh, almost like, you know, like submarines have where you kind of like look into or yeah, periscope or like some sort of like, you know, when you have those, um, those little, like, handheld devices you can bring up to your face, and you just go, like, snap, and then a different photo comes out. And it was, like, from, like, the 80s and 90s, that type of thing. So you're, like, viewing snapshots. It's, like, is it a still? Is it a moving picture? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Versus you physically being transported to the time in question.
0: Yes. So... This is exactly what we wanted to speculate mm-hmm. on in this. So they are moving images by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into the actual how it's constructed, the shape of this, like what it was allegedly made out of in just a second. But yeah, that is an interesting question because it's like, is the are these captured moments in time? Or is this mm-hmm. uh, like a, a window into a continuously flowing mm-hmm. moment in time?
1: Is he tapping into a That's certain... still happening,
0: like as you view it.
1: I almost pictured it as like certain resonances that you're able to tap into using certain mediums which is definitely different materials different conduits things like that to me i always go back to like the um monster partridge where it's like it almost seems like that was just an echo through time that was somehow illuminated to the viewer but like it's almost as if this device is kind of captured that and honed in on it It's in a, a way to totally, control it. Totally,
0: exactly. It's a similar concept for our for, for our end discussion here, like with Partridge Creek, for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Etched moments, all that stuff. But continuing on here with the story of Francois Brun, he goes on to... He has this, this discussion with Ernetti on the boat, and then... He's not, he he didn't get enough information. He's like, I have, I have to know more. He visits Ernetti the following day uh, and goes to his little teeny tiny uh, monastic cell that we mentioned at the beginning where he spent most of his life 12 by 12 feet. And Brun would state that basically his entire space, this entire cell that he lived in was just stacked high with papers, research papers. Um, a lot of them had to do with music, but a lot of them were just like obscure, different like ancient texts in Latin, Greek, he was looking into all kinds of different things, like at his own behest, right? How like he was else do you
1: fill your time as a Benedictine monk?
0: <laughs> it's pretty interesting. So it was here that Ernetti basically added on to the story and continues to tell Brun about this invention of the chronovisor. He goes on and tells Francois Brun that with much effort and a lot of different time, he was able to assemble this team that we mentioned before. Ernetti was able to explain that they were able to tune into the past and actually view it through something similar to that of a television. And at this point, Brun's, like, sitting there perplexed. He has no idea how this possibly could have been built, right? Ernetti, basically, right after saying this, that they built this, he's like, yeah, we were able to watch speeches from Benito Mussolini. Then we dialed it back even further and even further, and we saw speeches from Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm
1: -hmm. Kept
0: back going further and so on and so on. And just kept on...
1: So Arnetti's just postulating. He's not, he's telling, he's not showing, right? Like, where is this device? Where, where was, where is it kept?
0: Right. So at this point that he did, he didn't have this device. So Mm -hmm. according to Brun, the chronovisor concept in its early stages, they were developed by Arnetti in the early days that he was a Benedictine monk, or at least the concept of it, uh, that he deliberate, and then he deliberately kept this device a secret after it was constructed until the early 1960s, when he then confided in Brun and told him about this team of 12 scientists. Now, presumably the reason he did this is because the Vatican knew about it. They knew about its construction. How would you have been able to assemble a team of such prominent scientists mm-hmm. just if you're just some... I mean, sure, you're you're well-educated, you might be well-respected well, well respected own, in, the, in the church community. And
1: your own personal correspondences, obviously. But. Sure, but I
0: mean, like, you're not just going to reach out to Enrico Fermi and be like, hey, man, I write Gregorian chants, you want to build a time device? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is probably going to be at the behest of the Vatican.
1: Perhaps, and or something that they, like, initially sponsored and we're like you can explore this because you xyz like you know you've you've
0: rationalized it in a certain way right and again we're sort of like we're analyzing as we go here i i can't wait to get into just this we're just kind of telling the story Mm -hmm. because he tells francois brun this in the 60s and continues to sort of like tell this same story that he's told brun and of course brun does as well Mm -hmm. he's off reiterating the story too until 19 until the 1970s when this was really becoming mainstream And I have to point out the title of this because it is actually pretty hilarious. So 1972, we actually read this in episode one, an -hmm. Italian publication called La Domenica del Corriere publishes this claim titled, quote, a time machine that photographs the past has finally been invented.
1: Not even a time machine, it just is a machine that photographs the past. A
0: machine. And it's like, what a... you what mean, a lackluster title that is. You mean, like, you mean a
1: camera? Because technically, any sort of picture that a camera's taken is of the past right. at that
0: point. <laughs> Congratulations, La Dominica del Corriere.
1: <laughs> Yikes.
0: Oh, They're man. They're obviously
1: pretty excited about this. But, like, really,
0: though, what a what a horrible title it is. It's like, pff, finally, guys. What's been taking you so long? You finally invented a crowd mm, big, big deal. deal. <laughs> Should have been, like, a week ago. Anyway. So the magazine publishes this this title. Very much, uh, you know, like a clickbaity sort of title. Uh, I don't know what you would call it back Mm -hmm. in the day, not clickbait, but, you know, just very much an eye-catching title. And of course, along with it, this photograph, alleged photograph that was used, that was captured using the chronovisor. Hmm. And apparently this was from Ernetti himself. I couldn't actually find an actual document saying, yep, this this publication received this photograph from Father Ernetti, like definitively.
1: Mm. What if Um, they just made it up? Like the the magazine, not Arnetti. So
0: basically what they had was this photograph of the Romans crucifying Jesus Christ. Okay? I mean, black and white, this, you know, the the classic, you know, looking up, Mm -hmm. the the last dying, the last dying seconds image. Mm Mm-hmm. And they published this image, and this is supposed to be obviously very shocking, very eye catching, and again, a, a quote unquote evidence yeah. so of, the of the effectiveness of the My next
1: question there is like, was Father Brun showing that photograph when he was in the cell with our Ernetti? Like, you know, like, where did, where did Ernetti... Ernetti get this? And this is over 10 years later.
0: Yeah. Which so it's is just weird. kind of,
1: yeah, it is kind of, unless he was able to kind of dig it out of his massive pile of papers.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But, anyways. So
0: that was another one along with the, the play, the Thestis the play, play yeah. mm-hmm. that we, will, we can break down a little bit further further, but
1: mm-hmm. there's
0: definitely some bones to pick with both of those that we will mention in a sec. But
1: There is. There's always bones But honestly, to
0: like, I really want to get into this, the idea of how the hell this was actually built. Because it's one thing to say, hey, I have this. We gathered the scientists, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> what, what was this made out of? Like, how did this actually start? Well, you exactly. I
1: mean? We've kind of alluded to our ideas of how this could look or right. function. Uh, but allegedly, this thing was made of... A bunch of different stuff. So cathode rays were a part of it. Antenna, different metals that received sound and light signals on all different types of wavelengths. So I'm picturing like, you know, like picking up, yeah, different vibrations, different whatever. Sure. A cathode ray, just so we're all kind of on the same page here. This is my very rudimentary wikipedia sort of definition here but it's just basically it's a a cathode rays or electron beams are streams of electrons observed in discharge tubes yes so that's interesting it's Um, basically
0: like a television it's It's what every tv has right yeah
1: yeah totally okay so it's a viewing sort of thing right yeah it's interesting because this sort of setup of this chronovisor technology purportedly allowed this team of scientists to view as well as document events of the past. And there must have been some sort of device on it to dial it in because, like Arnetti said, they were able to kind of, like, go back certain. I'm curious, too, like, how do you define in space, like, going back, but then also the space space time because there's two things there. There's time and there's space. Like, so where are you going in the world, like you know what I mean, it's not like the time machine where H.G. Wells, where it's like literally that machine stood in the exact same spot right throughout time. Right, so
0: he's going around to different places, viewing, viewing, viewing. That's yeah. actually a really interesting question. So, like, how are you
1: picking up on frequencies right. that are like literally like streams of e- non-existence? What's the <laughs> what's the word I'm
0: looking for here? Um, anyways, oh, it eludes me. Or is it almost like accidental? Like they just viewed so Maybe. many different things. Maybe. But eventually they saw some famous ones, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just like you're just like bouncing around. But then it's like you could spend decades and decades just accidentally viewing like a lizard on a rock from 500,000 years well, exactly. ago. Exactly. How you do you mean? get to like, the juicy
1: stuff here? Yeah. Come on. There's so many questions i like exactly. Like is this events that are alive or on, they're on repeat? Is it like a memory echoing from the past that you're able to tap into, mm-hmm. like a stream of consciousness? I think that was the word I was trying to look for before. Right, right. Um, Allegedly, these antennas were made of, quote unquote, mysterious metals. I don't really know what that means. It's not really, they're, they're not identified. So again, mysterious I'm like, okay, metals. what kind of conduits, what are we working with? I don't really know. But apparently these were able to pick up on different sound and light waves across different spectrums. And Ernetti went on to explain that everything that happened left behind radiation signatures, So everything of the past, like echoes, like we said, bouncing around in time and space, and that the coronavirus merely translated these to reproduce them on the screen.
0: So Ernetti is basically stating that it is sort of the one side of what we've been talking about already, that it is like the Partridge Creek monster. Mm -hmm. It is an etching in the past. It's not necessarily a Moment that is still happening. That if there was further development on the chronovisor, you could actually maybe like go to that actual moment, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's what the time travel aspect of time time machine would be. Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying it's that, which is which is interesting.
1: That is kind of cool. It's got to
0: be halfway to the other thing though, because if you're already seeing like this echo etched in time, maybe
1: echoes can come to you as opposed to you having to like you know what I mean? Like you can just kind of like attract them, almost like a magnetic sort of, like, right. you know? But even
0: this concept in and of itself, it still is all predicated on our human understanding of time moving forward and backward, right? Like, it's not, like, not instead of all happening at once.
1: I almost feel like it's, like, it's almost related to, like, string theory, where it's, like, there's all these strands of consciousness and all these moments of time all woven together, and you can just kind of, like, pick one up out of the, like, you know, like, <laughs> right. out of the whole web of whatever's going on there Well, and that's
0: interesting, too, because string theory is obviously tied into interdimensional theory. Like, the idea, like you just Mm. said, string's going off, and it's all these little adjacent dimensions of alternate things. Well, what if that is kind of, like, in and of the same? It's, like, time. Like, all these moments that we perceive as, like, individual moments in time are actually, like, accessible as different dimensions. Like, you're... Like, Mm. they're viewing it through the chronovisor, and it's... Like, to us, it's just the past, but it's actually...
1: It's going on another all the time? Mo-
0: it actually is a place. Like it's happening. It's there.
1: Exactly. You know what I mean? Going back to just another interesting quote here just so we can kind of come back to Yes. Father Anetti apparently when he was talking to Father Brune he about like how this device actually worked. This is kind of a little bit vague, but it says here <clears throat> that it worked by processing residual electromagnetic radiation left over by numerous processes numerous processes is a little mysterious to me. I don't really know what that means. Little if that big. means there's something happening in each moment of time that will go to either produce that radiation,
0: the residual
1: right. sort of, like, you know, the remnant, right. the echo. Yeah. But anyways, that's kind of as, as much detail as we get here because Father Annetti remained a little secretive about the um, the details and stated that he was not at liberty to reveal further things about the chronovisor that he was essentially... Uh, it's kind of funny because he says like he was muzzled by the Vatican, yet he was fully free to just kind of, again, kind of reach out to publications, to different Right. I think he was kind of muzzled
0: a little bit more so later on when he was like maybe reaching out a little bit too mm-hmm. much. Like mm-hmm. they were like, hey, you're kind of, <laughs> this is a little too much. You should probably quiet down maybe, a little bit. yeah.
1: There was one other piece here too, and that goes back to what I was kind of mentioning about like, well, how do you how do you direct this thing like where where you? like you know cuz there's there's time and then there's space and right. where are we going but apparently there was a direction finder on the, a device that allegedly was able to tune into specific eras and then the screen displayed it and a recording device captured the footage so there was like three different things going on there it's almost like a radio capturing the this electromagnetic radiation something to display it, and then something to actually imprint it so that mm-hmm. you have a recording. So I where are all these recordings It's one in? thing.
0: Well, exactly. That's one thing. Um, but is it's one thing, too, to it? find an era. But like what you're saying, though, like a direction a finder moment. is like a, like a GPS to an mm-hmm. exact location is like not discussed, though. Like, you're talking about mm-hmm. something more specific than this.
1: Dur- well, yeah.
0: Right? Like a well, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. Like, the, it's, this is
1: very vague, the way that he describes it. Is, it yeah. The direct finder would be the aspect of the device. That and, of course,
0: that's what things. you kind of would have needed because, like, we already stated a couple examples before, but Ernetti Ur- would continue to go on and recount, you know, other different things that this, avi- this device allegedly <laughs> witnessed, right? Mm-hmm. Or they witnessed through the device. So one of them was uh, a speech by a, a famous uh, Roman senator, Marcus Tullius Cicero, right? Mm -hmm. 63 BCE. And he ended up writing down this quote. Ernetti basically went on to say that his gestures, his annotation, how powerful they were, what flights of oratory. (laughs) Like, you know, he got to watch this famous Roman speech. Pretty cool. Uh, He continues on from this. He made additional and increasingly bolder claims. And I think that's probably one of the things, like you already said, that the skeptics will latch on to. The claims got bolder and bolder Mm -hmm. rather than Rather than just being like some stuff that, like, pe- pepper in a few things that are a little less, hmm. you know, like wow, amazing. <laughs> I guess you know what I mean.
1: And it seems like most of this is directed towards events that happened in the Bible. Although he did men- make mention of like Mussolini and like yeah. the modern Napoleon,
0: day. a few other mm-hmm. things. But of course, the crucifixion, the Last Supper. You know, he goes on to talk about. And this idea that he was viewing moments in history rather than actually actually traveling to them. So, from the founding of the Roman Empire to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Ernetti basically says that he was able to take a peek at all these things that would confirm aspects of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, proof of its existence. We've already mentioned so he does a couple have an agenda. of different things. <laughs> He's got. I mean, you can say that. I mean, obviously, the guy's entire life was based off of being a Benedictine monk hmm So is it an agenda or is it just your way of being? I guess. You know I can, what I mean?
1: Yeah, speak to it Or are
0: lines. they one and the same?
1: <laughs> All right. So we've got through the, the gist of the story here. Um, as Andrew rolls his eyes at me. The gist of the story. Well, let's get into proof. Is there any proof of this device's existence? We mentioned there was a few... People that may or may not be able to corroborate based on whether or not they were alive or not. And one of the problems that a lot of skeptics have is that the person that is best able to corroborate the story, Father Gamelli, died in 1959. I thought it was 54. I thought it was a little earlier.
0: Yeah, 59. So he technically... It was
1: Fermi that died in 54. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So this is all before Ernetti started to go public, so to speak. And Gamelli was... We mentioned him off the bat there. He was that prominent monk he was more scientifically minded than most in the church and he yep. worked alongside Ernetti with many musical uh, projects at the time yes. so we don't know if he was involved in the creation of the device but there is an interesting story that we'll get into in just a second here that kind of maybe leads you to believe that he might have had some involvement exactly um yeah so th- this is <sighs> going back to the whole like idea of these people being dead so we have <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem here it's yeah. a common problem we've seen this before um when people make these types of incredible claims and things like that. In this case, obviously, we have Gamelli passing away. We have Fermé dying in 1954. Von Braun actually lived to 1977, but he never made any mention. The chronovisor never confirmed or denied, as far as we're aware. We don't
0: even know if anyone asked him about it.
1: Well, that's just it. Like, that's the weird part. Or maybe he just, or maybe he did, and he just thought it was some crazy Italian tabloid article where he's just like, I'm not even touching that with the 10-foot pole. I'm here in the U.S., and I'm doing my thing.
0: Hmm. So who knows? That would have been um, pretty silly of him, though. That's not doing your due diligence at all.
1: You mean on Von Braun? Von Braun's part, yeah. Also I mean, on name, someone's on Gamelli. Gme- sorry, on Ernetti's uh, part too. If you're gonna like drop names, <laughs> you know, you probably want people to. Anyways, um, no,
0: that's very true. You're dropping yeah. a name that someone can easily ask. Right, mm. he's around.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's like. Yeah. So did they we ask? Word versus his word. Kind That's of. actually
0: kind of strange. I can come back to that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, continue. But
1: the one thing that I thought was really cool, getting away from, like, this, this whole, like, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. deaths and not being able to confirm his story, there was this interesting sort of event that happened while Gemelli was, or Gemelli, 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 Gemelli tomato, tomato, man. Uh, but this story that um, Gemelli was involved in was actually pretty cool. This actually happened back in 1952. And this was when Ernetti and Gamelie were working on attempting to record a live musical performance of one of their beloved Gregorian chants. Mm -hmm. It was all going as planned when all of a sudden their equipment stopped working. The recording they were doing was described as layering frequencies onto the recording, which is kind of odd. They were
0: basically just, like, recording different, like, clips or moments of different, like, chant frequencies, and then they were layering them together.
1: To create more of an effect. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. They eventually got everything to work, but later, when they listened back to the results of this partially successful recording, I guess you could call it, Mm -hmm. uh, they were astonished to see, or hear more so than see, a strange disembodied voice that sounded like Gamelli's father. Yeah. And Gamelli was referred to in this by this voice, um, f- by a childhood nickname. Apparently he was called Zucchini yeah. back when he was young. <laughs> it's cute. And uh, allegedly the voice said, Zucchini, it is I. It is clear you do not know it is I. I am always with you and help you. And he took that to be the voice of his dead father. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy.
0: <clears throat> well, because, uh, because like we said off the top, he was not one, No, to...
1: He's a very, ag- not agnostic, but a very, uh, uh rational type of yeah. scientific mind, mind person yeah. and he did testify to the authenticity of this recording and also that it was extremely paranormal there yes. was no way to explain what happened yeah. and this was obviously very important because he's not a man that would make claims like this without having nothing you know what I mean like to back it up exactly so this may or may not have been one of the successes or early successes of the technology that would go on to be the chronovisor right potentially but oh, the and idea of it, anyway. The the idea of it, yeah. The the Yeah, the principles behind it. Mm-hmm. Because there is this idea that they're working with frequencies, tapping into things that may or may not be beyond our modern understanding. Um, this relation to, yeah, like constant motion. You kind of wrote this here, the idea like the relation of movement frequency and the notion of constant motion or perpetual motion and the connections with energy and echoes through time. Right. So, just all these different things. Like how would, if Gemelli's or Gemelli's father was not existing in another plane simultaneously somewhere else, where is this coming
0: from? Exactly. Anyways. Exactly. And I guess I I think the the main like association with the music was that I think Ernetti wasn't, I personally think Ernetti was inspired by this idea that clearly through their work with the chants, the layering of different frequencies that he believed that this is what allowed them to e- accidentally basically tap into this this echo of his father or this mm-hmm. voice of Jameli's of father. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very much like the,
1: so that the would be concept very of the chronovisor. Like, what else can you tap into? What
0: else can you tap into? <laughs>
1: tap, tap, tap-roo.
0: <laughs> so at this point through into the nineteen late 1970s, 80s, and 90s, it's a pretty split divide on the people that believe this story or think that the device could have actually existed or does still exist and people thinking that this is a complete hoax even though the hoaxer seems to be a bizarre candidate you know like we've already mentioned it's, it's yeah. just strange you're the prominent exorcist the vatican's getting you to publish books you've mm-hmm. b- been asked to do these uh, gregorian chant music sheet work all over the all over europe you're well-known in the church. Mm -hmm. It's just bizarre.
1: Seems like a bit of a diversion, really. A bit of a
0: diversion. So we're heading into a little bit more of a modern view on this, and uh, wanted to bring up one of Francois Brun's last visits with uh, Father Ernetti before he passed away, because the 90s is when it kind of got extra strange. Basically, uh, Ernetti visited him in 1993. It was one of his final visits, September 30th. Or sorry, actually, this was in 1994. uh, Brun visited him, but Ernetti told him that the year previous, on September 30th, 1993, he had responded to a letter from Vatican officials inviting Pellegrino Ernetti, along with the surviving members of the chronovisor team, to do a presentation to a Hmm. group of cardinals and, allegedly, a team of international scientists at the Vatican of the device. Interesting. Um, Ernetti basically told Brun that the chronovisor after this presentation had been dismantled at Hmm. this time. Oh. So what does this mean? Was it destroyed? Was it just taken apart and archived in different like boxes? Why was it being saved? Like if you're just going to dismantle it, if the church thought this was like a demonic device or something, or like some kind somehow anti-Catholic or anti-Vatican, then surely they would have destroyed it. And it's bizarre because, like you said, on the one hand, the Vatican denies its existence, and. But then they also and they ask uh, Pellegrino Ernetti to kind of stop talking about it so much in mm-hmm. his later years. But then at the same time, they have this uh, statement. This is uh, I pulled this from AllThingsInteresting.com. But the Vatican decreed in 1988. This is quite a bit later from the original story coming out. That quote: "Anyone using an instrument of such characteristics would be excommunicated." <laughs> hmm. Huh?
1: Official line. Why make such
0: a statement <laughs> for something that doesn't exist? Yeah. That seems odd.
1: Not even just... That's weird phrasing. They say anyone using... Not anyone trying to create an instrument. Yeah. It's like as they if something that like that exists. already...
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting
1: phrasing. Right?
0: Hmm. And Very of course, suspicious. Ernetti, this entire time, is, is getting kind of paranoid, which is weird because he's telling the story on the one hand, mm-hmm. but then he's also telling François Brun that... People were kind of catching wind of this and believing it for much more, like, wanting it for more nefarious purposes because Mm -hmm. they believed it existed. So he claimed that in the 60s that he was being followed by both Russian and American intelligence agencies by spies that were trying to trail him and Hmm. either find the device itself or... Or kidnap him. He actually claimed that later in life he would not be able to leave the monastery without a bodyguard escort. Hmm. And I'm wondering, like, was this like one of the Swiss guards from from the Vatican? Like, was oh, this yeah. was this like your bodyguard? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> must have
1: been.
0: Some sources actually claim that after all of this, because he's clearly very much stating it's real, invited to the Vatican to talk about it. It was dismantled. These are the scientists I worked with. There was this. Other completely out of left field claim that Pellegrino Ernetti confessed to having fabricated the entire story on his deathbed, hmm. right before his death on April eighth, nineteen ninety four. This is extremely controversial. I don't buy into it whatsoever. Uh, basically, the story goes there was a uh, a book called Peter uh, a book a book about the Chronovisor by author Peter Crassa, uh, really detailed. Basically, it was in this book that this um, quote or this story was mentioned. Krasna is not pro- saying that this is real one way or the other, but this is basically what happened. In the 90s, there was an in- there's an English translation of this book on Ernetti, where he was making inquiries in to see whether or not they could unco- uncover further information about this, about Ernetti, about this monk. And they received a letter, an anonymous letter, from someone claiming that Father Ernetti was a distant relative. This person called him, quote, Uncle Pellegrino Hmm. and agreed to share their account of Father Ernetti's sort of final days, but only under the condition of anonymity. Oh. I call BS. Why? Why would you? Why? What what risk would you run in your life from just saying who you are? There's no way to corroborate it anyway. So this random anonymous source reaches out and says, he made the whole thing up and I can prove it even though I actually can't. Hmm. He stated that after getting a, quote, call that his uncle was near death... This anonymous person visited Father Ernetti in his same 12 by 12 cell, and on his deathbed, Ernetti admitted to, quote, wrestling with some, something that he had spun out of control over the decades into a, quote, mortal sin, his lies about the chronovisor. Hmm. He allegedly says to this individual that he hadn't seen Festes on the chronovisor, the play, but he had experienced it in a past life, and that's how he was able to rewrite the final missing parts he admitted that he had hoaxed the photo of jesus christ on the cross and he had said that he had built the chronovisor with the help of an assistant but that they were not actually able to get it to work
1: Hmm.
0: that is a jambalaya of i think contradictions and weird weirdness (laughs) right you're saying on the one hand you're reaching out anonymously saying that he admits to you that it was completely fake and fabricated Mm-hmm. but that he was actually still trying to build it and just couldn't get it to work. That's weird. How could it be both? <laughs> like, Yeah. I guess you were building it and couldn't get it to work, and then we're like, oh, crap, I really wanted it to work, so I'm going to make up all these stories. Maybe. And totally, uh, totally put my reputation and my entire life's work at risk.
1: The only... Th- yeah, and there's a few other red flags, too, obviously. Like, the fact that this person is... Anonymous. We don't know who this person is. Uh, allegedly, a distant relative. That's kind of bizarre that Arnetti would start to confess to someone that isn't a member of the church. If anything, like the only reason I could see Arnetti confessing to something that may like is a lie. If it was a lie, is to someone that is another priest. An actual confession. He's a Catholic. Yeah. Like you know, like you you wouldn't just confess to some random person. You would confess in a way that your mortal sin, quote-unquote, would be washed away.
0: And that's what, the, again, you're right. Yeah, you bring yeah. that up, so mortal why? sin. This is very, like, heavily saturated and,
1: mm-hmm. like, soul-saving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why would you go to someone that's totally anonymous and not someone that could actually give you retribution? Or not retribution, but redemption. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and presumably, like, a family member that you weren't really very well connected with. They just came to see you on yeah. your deathbed.
1: That's sketchy. It's
0: super sketchy. I'm not buying into it. Um... There is some comparative sort of ideas to this. You've got this little section here. Some other accounts. um.
1: Yeah, there were accounts, and this was just from allthingsinteresting.com, that Ernetti's friend had stated shortly before he died, he wrote an open letter adamantly reiterating the device was real. So this is the exact opposite exactly. of the previous claim right. here. And that Ernetti had claimed that Pope Pius VIII, uh, no, the 7th, sorry, mm. uh, forbade us from disclosing any details about the device because the machine was, quote, very dangerous. It can restrain the freedom of man. So in that sense, it, it could actually, you know, it's kind of interesting. I just had this thought off the top of my head. The, the idea that this could restrain the freedom of man. It could also rewrite history to a large degree Completely. too. Completely. Because... History is obviously written by the winners, but what else happened that is not in our recorded official canon of, you know, exactly. humankind? Yeah, so exactly. I could see that being definitely something that would be very paralyzing well, for, I, what would, for could, modern society even.
0: Totally. To I,
1: rework everything that we thought we knew. I can
0: tell you the first thing I'd be doing. Like, what's the first thing you would go back to look at if you had the chronovisor? Just out of curiosity. Because I know mine for sure.
1: Oh well, I don't know. There's a lot. I, mostly, I just think conspiracy. Like, was it really Hitler in the bunker? Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that stuff like, would be really fun
0: too. I don't know. <laughs> All that stuff's super fun. What but would I mean, you go back to first thing that comes to mind is like, I want to find Atlantis. Disprove mm. or prove? I'm oh, going there you back. Go. I'm going way further back than yeah, than Pellegrino's going.
1: That would be very interesting, or even other like. Um, the uh, land of Mu or Limeria, things exactly. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm,
0: the sunken lost continents and ancient civilizations. That's exactly <laughs> what I'd be going for.
1: Yeah, that'd be pretty fun.
0: But I mean, Bruin, like like yeah. you said, like he was, he believed that, that Ernetti wrote that letter,
1: mm-hmm. asserting
0: that it was indeed real, right? And that the, Vatican, that the Vatican was trying to suppress him on it. Yeah. And he was adamant about this all the way up until his death.
1: His own death, which was, was in pretty recently, yeah. 2019. Yeah.
0: So it's tough, right? Because uh, obviously you've got von Braun has passed away, Jamelli's passed away, Enrico yeah. Fermi's passed away. Now, Ernetti's of course passed away, and Francois <laughs> Brun has now passed away. But the entire time he was alive, he was reporting that it was legit and had his quote unquote mm-hmm. evidence for it. And actually, I think I have it a little further down here. Let's just let's we're getting we're getting towards our final thoughts and theories and yes. some of sort of the yeah exactly that our 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 own doubts our own doubts about this or beliefs in this or however you want to call it. There's a lot of debunking factors in this, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the main one, I guess, is like what we already talked about. So maybe we can just go through this really quick. We've got the purported photograph of Jesus Christ that basically a lot of people have uh, analyzed and they believe that this is either a photo of a statue in an Umbrian church. Or or sorry, it's either a reproduction of a statue from an Umbrian Mm -hmm. church or it's a photo of a statue from another church in the Italian town of uh, Colava Valenza. Hmm. So it's basically just a copy of a reproduction of Christ on the cross. But this is where it gets kind of weird because Francois Brun refutes this and basically states that the original sculpture that exists in Umbria was done by this Spanish artist uh, named Cordera. And he was inspired by this story, allegedly, of a Spanish nun who had this uh, vision of the crucifixion of Christ. Mm. She had this divine intervention, this super vivid vision as if she was actually there. And she described this event to the artist who then reproduced, reproduced the statue. Allegedly, Ernetti had the same interaction with, with, with this nun. Hmm. So basically it was like, basically it was just a weird parallel. It was this alleged vision of the exact event. And then Ernetti's, capturing of the event and they corroborated each other's stories they they corroborated that this is what this looked like now that's not proof no <laughs> at all no <laughs> um obviously but it's it's you know there's no way to say that like ernetti went to this church and took a photo and then just used it like that just seems like w- super on the nose like, he could
1: he could have been inspired by the nun's story though you know could what have i mean been inspired like because obviously story. i'm assuming this all happened previous, in a previous era to Arnetti's.
0: Mm-hmm. Or I wonder if they expounded on that even further, if the nun's story was almost like the impetus for him dialing mm-hmm. in with the direction finder. Maybe. You know what I mean? Because we, talk, we talked about that. It's like, how could you actually pinpoint the exact location? It's one thing to go back to the year. It's another thing it's another to go back mean, to the minute and the exact geographic the coordinates yeah. of so the event. There's
1: a lot of things happening all simultaneously in the world all at once. Right. So, like, so
0: okay, so the photograph... It's kind of a bit, it's a bit sketchy. You also have the play. Apparently this was riddled with different Latin errors when it was like later translated. So there's some belief that Ernetti probably had written the rest mm. of it himself, but this is sort of strange because he was classically trained in Latin could speak it and mm-hmm. write it really well. Mm-hmm. So for it to be riddled with errors sounds a little bit hmm.
1: interesting. Like he
0: was really like how many not people, proofreading.
1: Well, how many people actually translated it too? It was just the one lady allegedly was. Right. There. I don't
0: know. Another aspect that is a little bit of a debunker is that apparently in 1947, there was an image uh, in a science fiction novel called E for Effort uh, by T.L. Sher- Sherrod. I want to read that. Yeah, where basically there's an image of a time machine, <laughs> and apparently Ernetti's time machine has a very, very similar design. Hmm. But I do want to point out that when I did see the image of the quote-unquote chronovisor, which we will share with you guys, it reminded me a lot of the, the, uh, the device from the film Primer. Just, like, a box. It's, like, simple. It's not, It's not like, H.G. Wells time machine where you're climbing into, yeah. like, a Santa sleigh with a giant thing on the back and, like, all this kind of stuff.
1: There's, like, different components and it looks like, yeah, they're all kind of connected very rudimentarily and it's, yeah, in boxes, essentially. Right. One of them looks like a microwave or a TV, almost.
0: Well, TV, exactly. I mean...
1: But it's all... What is this language? It's not even written in English. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? What is this? Gavage. Got some Latin in here.
0: <laughs> and then, obviously, lastly, of course, we've got the fact that Braun, von Braun, lived up until seventy-seven, but nobody even asked him about this. That—that like that I was, find strange. Could have
1: been pretty inaccessible. I don't know. I just, guess that would just the didn't thing. entertain the press. Like, he
0: wasn't in the book. I don't know. You couldn't just call up von Braun.
1: He was too busy building rockets.
0: Too busy building rockets. <laughs> So, yeah, that basically brings us down to, like, our final theories as to, like, what Mm -hmm. the hell? What the actual hell? Because, like...
1: It's a pretty crazy story. It's it's an
0: absolutely bizarre story. Obviously, the Vatican's got all kinds of crazy secrets that they're hiding away. Mm -hmm. And I still think the most fascinating aspect of this is his work with the sort of the ancient chants, the idea of this... I don't know. Like, Ancient rem- trance, rem- tapping into
1: universal energy, yes. TV, just currents. Exactly. That's what I think of, it. like, strings and, like, currents. And, yes. Like, there's just these different sort of planes of these, like, or, or, like, spectrums of this, and you may or may not be able to tap into it. Exactly. Just, like, radio frequencies or yeah. something. Yeah, or... and
0: we've mentioned sort of similar aspects to this before. Like, one of the things we've talked about loosely is the idea of paleoacoustics, and this mm. kind of ties into this, this idea of, like, sound remnants, like moments mm. accidentally preserved in time. Mm-hmm. It goes into, like, the stone tape theory and all that stuff, too. That mm-hmm. gets even a little bit more complex. But basically this idea of almost like tapping into the Akashic record what somehow. What is this? Record is. It's this idea that there's, there's universal events from the past, present, and future that can exist sort of simultaneously and somehow be tapped into. Hmm. And I think that's basically what the chronovisor the is chronovisor's doing. The th- cool thing about this concept is that it's not just past, present, it's future too. It's everything. It's everything all at once. It kind of made me think of like the film uh, Arrival. Uh, which, which if, if anyone out there sure. listening has seen that film with, like, the ship that comes down and the creatures on it, they have no... Their, their time is not linear. It is constantly happening. Everything's always happening at mm-hmm. once. Future is now, present is past, past is future. Everything's all all at the same time. But for us, it doesn't work that way because of, like, how we're constructed. So the idea of just, like, remnants etched into whatever, like, that's basically what Ernetti Ir- was saying. It's this... It's this, uh, how did you describe it? You had that quote where it was basically almost like a radio, um, a radioactive imprint.
1: Yes. In time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a very interesting, the Akashic record. Yeah. And I, did you mention, uh, what's her name? Helena Petrova Blavatsky? No, go on. Madame ahead. Blavatsky. Yes. She comes up in a lot of things. Uh, I actually came across her first when I was looking into the Nazi occult. Because she was right. one of the main founders of this Theosophical movement, right? And that's interesting that she was one of the first people to popularize this idea of an Akashic record. Yeah, I. I that, she's someone that I do want to touch on again when we get into more of that Nazi occult sort of stuff. Oh, we uh, will. <laughs> yeah, we which, will. That's a really thick, not a thick book, but it's like one of those really dense reads where you're just like, I can only read like, like maybe like ten pages at a time. Oh anything. yeah, it's no, like, it's a lot going on. <laughs> it is, and this would lot.
0: so that that sort of idea, like what you were just saying, the Akashic record, like. I just I just dropped the term paleoacoustics, but basically transitioned into this sort of theory, um, developed in a little bit more modern times. I can't remember the exact date. It was this researcher Woodbridge. Basically, it's the idea of like electromagnetic waves being remnants from another age, like voices mm-hmm. that might be preserved in an environment, kind of like Ernetti and Jamelli with the voice of his father. Yeah. Um, and with the right equipment, it could potentially be tapped into, very mm-hmm. much like a record spinning on a on on its pin. Like there is somehow an etching of this in the environment left somehow but could this apply to the chronovisor? Is this basically what's happening? Um,
1: hmm.
0: Yeah, is this true for for the images that Ernetti was, was, was allegedly seen?
1: You know, the weird part, and I'm just thinking about that whole story with Jameli and the, this embodied voice of his father, and it almost sounded like his father reaching out. It didn't sound like, uh, memory quote unquote being tapped into right. it's not as if he's being spoken to directly as mm-hmm. if someone was in the room with them. Right. So that's kind of weird too if you think about it. And
0: what's the correlation between those things? It's like know. if he's right there speaking and reaching out from another realm
1: So he's, it's like an interdimensional type thing Right. So we're dealing, dealing with so interdimensional.
0: But what, are are they one in the same? They're the one in the same. Are, no, like actually, though, like that's I kind of like scientist. that's kind of like what this is leaning towards. It's yeah. almost like it's one in the same. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the string theory sort of visualization that you mentioned. That's how I'm mm-hmm. picturing it. Yeah, and they're able to then go off of these strands, billions, trillions, an infinite number of them, and reach out to these etchings, these 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 paleoacoustics. They're not actually paleoacoustics, but that's the idea.
1: Mm-hmm. These
0: these memories. Um,
1: Yeah, no, totally. So, I mean, we're
0: basically left with the idea of it. It could be a completely fabricated story. I'm not really buying that. I think there's got to be some grain of truth to this. Um, Whether or not it actually worked is a completely different question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because if it worked,
1: concept versus the actual. If
0: it worked, then we're left with a whole other slate of questions, right? Because it would basically be like, okay, uh, were we actually able to engineer this with a group of 12 scientists of this earth? Mm -hmm. Or is this some kind of found technology? He mentions mm-hmm. the use of mysterious metals yeah.
1: in the construction
0: of the device, that really... and that just got me thinking, like, is this some kind of reverse-engineered device from another place? Like, mm-hmm. could the Vatican have recovered some sort of alien technology? I know it sounds a little bit silly, but according to Ernetti, like we said, it's, like, mis- these mysterious metals that picked up sound and light waves across different spe- their respective spectrums. Mm-hmm. So it's, like... This idea kind of makes sense for the Vatican to n- deny the device's existence, right? If it was created by beings from beyond, it's not the hand of man, unless they wanted to admit that it was like angelic or something. Mm-hmm. That would make sense, like if it was a found... like the hand
1: of God, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Chariots
0: of the gods.
1: <laughs> I know. I wish we had more detail on that, and just the the device setup. Like that that one image we have is very vague. It reminds me of some of the drawings that um, Lazar kind of put out that was just like very very simple it's almost like too simple it's like well maybe they are simplifying it just for the consumption of the information Mm -hmm. like i don't know
0: it's the same and it's the same beef people have with lazar as they do with netty they're basically like hey lazar why didn't you why don't you have full diagrams of everything you worked on yeah right and it's like well because it was compartmentalized and it was really complicated and it's kind of the same with her i mean there's 12 scientists Mm -hmm. you're not gonna you're not gonna get 12 people to come work with you if you could do it all yourself Presumably, they're working on different aspects of this. If you believe any of this at all, right? <laughs> and so there's these skeptics being like, "How come Renetti hasn't published his detailed instructions on how to build the device in order to legitimize his claims?" It's like, uh, maybe, maybe. one because he doesn't have it, and two, if he did, that would be stupid and he'd be excommunicated. <laughs> like, and excommunicated. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like a bad beef. That that's that's a stupid beef to have.
1: Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of frustrating and heartbreaking if it was actually true and he did have the the, like, want to, like, share this information, but just wasn't really able.
0: Yeah.
1: Muzzled, man. Right. I don't
0: know. And I guess my final, absolute it, final thought here...
1: Is it actually sadder that he's, like, just crazy? But anyway, sorry. Oh, your, I could... Your last thought.
0: No, yeah, no, not at all. Don't apologize. Your last no, that's thought. True. Like, you and be... just got
1: some final thoughts. I've got some thoughts to kind of bring it back to whatever. Awesome. But Yeah.
0: Basically, like, my last massive question with this that I find so fascinating is this idea of, obviously, like, what exactly was happening with this image capture? could they have been one step away from actually creating a device that was a little bit more complex that would have allowed for the movement between time periods? It's not just accessing and etching in time. Mm -hmm. You are actually pinpointing a moment in time. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Then that's the thing we're not sure about. I mean, Ernetti basically says, yeah, it's an echo from the past and we were taking photos. But if that's the case, then I mean, if it's an echo, it's like, then these echoes would be endless. It's like, you could go back and watch an echo for four years straight. It's like, this echo is just continuous. It's like, we're watching, you watched a whole speech. Mm-hmm. That sounds like more than an echo. That's not like the Partridge Creek monster. A, a dinosaur runs up a hill and then disappears. You're sitting in. there, like, vividly watching a speech. Mm-hmm. Like, on TV. Yeah. That's a little bit more detailed than just an echo or an etching in the past. Yeah, You know what I mean?
1: You think he would bust out some sort of, like recording, like like some sort of... Because he obviously we're, we're able, able to make recordings, like right. audio recordings. you think maybe that would be like their... Well,
0: and maybe they did and they just aren't... They're in the Vatican archives.
1: Um, yes, this is all anyway, hypothetical, obviously. Final but, thoughts, Amber. <laughs> well, I just think that one of the most interesting things that kind of ties back, and we did touch on this at the very beginning, was just the idea that we're... There, there is some themes going on here. One of them is this idea of low-frequency resonances or vibrations, sounds, essentially, and how does this relate to the idea of tapping into moments, echoes, or just time itself? Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I think that's the most fascinating. It seems to be one of the closest sort of, like, bridges, I guess, kind of, like... Um, to sort of like tie this all together because this, mm-hmm. this has been a fun series it's been a oh, little yeah. over the place this has been really cool though this story i really like the story of the Chronovisor. me too
0: me too mm-hmm. it's shout just a
1: Kryptonaut, i guess shout out to Krypton. <laughs>
0: absolutely yeah they uh, they covered this a few years ago and it was really fun and mm-hmm. uh, i actually don't know if i've seen anyone else cover it i'm sure people have but um it is just one of the weirdest weirdest time 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 stories because mm-hmm. it's not really a time travel device yeah. um And that's just it. Like, there's so many stories of people, like, appearing where they shouldn't in time. You know, like, there's the classic photo of that guy on, like, uh, in the 1940s on, like, the construction of the the bridge in B.C. And he looks like he's wearing, like, a modern graphic t-shirt with, like, Ray-Ban sunglasses. And he's, like, completely, like, you know. I don't
1: know if I've seen that. Yeah, it's
0: cool. I'll show you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's there's all these different kind of, like, claims of time Mm -hmm. travel. But they're never linked back to a a device. Mm -hmm. So that's why this one is so... So unique.
1: Interesting. And
0: anything having to do with the Vatican is always a blast,
1: because yeah. it's like conspiracy, sci-fi, and conspiracy man—two hot topics.
0: Absolutely. What the <laughs> hell are they hiding in there, man? All kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff. All kinds of crazy stuff. Well, that that brings us down to the end here. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted to uh, give a massive shout out to a couple of amazing people. We've got yeah. Jackson Greenberg is back.
1: He's back He's on Patreon. Back.
0: Woo. Shout out Jackson! What's up, buddy? Welcome. Thank you so much for coming back on Patreon. We really appreciate that. It's so we really awesome. Do. Really, really cool to have you back. And uh, we had a couple of other new patrons as well. A couple of other uh, pretty, pretty prominent patrons, as a matter of fact. So we've got uh, <laughs> we've got a brand new patron, zeth Six Nine Two is the username. Thank you so much. And also we have a brand new producer.
1: Yeah, this is brand big new news. producer
0: Jarrett Cornelius. Ooh.
1: Love that, name. hey, Jared,
0: <laughs> Mister Cornelius. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so stoked. Uh, yeah, uh, Jared's uh, joined us as a, uh, another producer in the team.
1: Amazing. And
0: uh massive, massive help to keep the show going. So
1: totally. Thank
0: you, all of you guys, and thank you to all of our patrons, all of our listeners. We really yeah. hope you guys enjoyed this series. We, we did. would love to hear your thoughts. So we'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: Like... And we'd love it if you went and checked out the new revamped IntoTheportal.com. Yes. There's nothing super crazy going on, but we did kind of just re update everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. Yes. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> and um yeah, just a little more updated.
0: Yeah. No, it's a little more updated. <laughs> <laughs> Go check it out. Into the um, a lot more of our stuff is going to be going up on intotheportal.com, you guys. Right now, the network website has kind of been... It's it's shelved, at least temporarily. So everything ITP is intotheportal.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Don't forget to leave us a five star rating and review if you haven't already. Really helps yeah. the show. Do us a solid help your, help your friends out over here. Exactly. And uh, that's about it. We would just love to hear your guys' thoughts. Shoot us an email into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Come follow us on Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast, at Into the Portal Podcast on Facebook, Into the Portal One on Twitter. And that about does it. Mm-hmm. Until next time, and Into the Portal. Your gateway to
1: the bizarre.